Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Echizadoku, and Michael Dryden. You're in luck to celebrate Bayern's Champions League win. We're giving away either their home shirt or their away shirt as a prize. To be in with a chance, you simply have to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. To be in with a chance to win, we will announce the winner on our next episode and on our Twitter. Mm. Do you like that, Dryden? I love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, good. Big fan. Glad, glad to hear it. How are you doing anyway? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Obviously, we're recording just after the, the final, just a couple of hours after. Um, interesting game, interesting first half um, with Corman scoring against his final, uh, sorry, his former uh, team, and Bappe missing a fair few chances. Yeah. That fell his way. Not entirely sure about Kilo Novice's haircut um, this evening, but, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, disappointing for PSG, but, it, you know, it, overall, I think Bayern have been exceptional yeah, this year. Been. I mean, well, they've scored 43 goals yeah. in 11 Champions League games this, this year. I think I believe so, yeah. Have to ask up to Joe. Yeah, that's that one. I'll, I'll I'll ask up to Joe. Yeah, yeah. I'll tweet him tomorrow. Um, no, that's incredible, and I think you know they deserve to win it this year. PSG had chances, and if it went back to one-one or back level, sorry, then it might have been a different result. Uh, I was kind of wanting PSG to equalise to elongate the final because it was quite entertaining. Yeah, bringing on Chuta Mortine, interesting. Maybe they thought when they brought him on that might be <laughs> <laughs> regretting that they regretting that purchase after all, but. No, it wasn't too bad. How are you doing? Enjoy the game? Yeah, yeah. the game was... The game was I really liked the first half. Um, I felt that Leon and Barcelona caused Bayern a lot of problems uh, with the high press and high line. Yeah. I thought the midfield today shut down the PSG 3 very quickly, mm. which allowed... Which prevented them from having, you know, free runs of the attack... Uh, the defence, sorry, all yeah. the time. They got better with that. You know, they did have some chances, but they had to work for it. I think Leon and Barca at times cut them too easily so they did much better with that tonight um tomorrow i've got my second trim at trim it okay uh, which in case you haven't heard it's this van you go on an app and it's this van that drives to wherever you live you get in the van have your hair cut you come out looking top top dollar okay yeah. oh good so i'm due a trim trying to get a free haircut <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> promotional yeah uh, no so yeah that, that's pretty decent Arsenal making waves in the transfer market yeah, for once yeah, uh, for once yeah no Gabriel uh, Margueles mm-hmm. uh, rumoured to be signing tomorrow Arsenal fans actually so there's a picture where he's in a car on his Instagram and Arsenal fans have managed to work out by the sky colour and the fact that he's sitting on the left hand side in the vehicle <laughs> that he's in where England he might be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they worked out, they were like, oh yeah, that sky is similar to London at this time. And the car he's in is on the left-hand side, therefore he's in England. It's called um, the Met Office, just to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the lengths uh, fans go to to track down players. Mm. Aside from that, um, it's been in a few albums this week. Burner Boys albums are very, very good. Actual flames on that one. Mm. And yeah, it's all to, all to report. This week, John will be telling us all about Bayern Munich, their history, their club structure, their Champions League campaign, and we will discuss the 50 plus one rule and whether it is here to stay. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Ocast for immediate access to future episodes. And don't forget to um, enter our competition. That's the most important thing mm. for this week. So Dryden, tell us a little bit more about Bayern's history. Who exactly are they? So Bayern, as most will know, are regarded as the biggest and most successful club in German football. The club was formed in 1900 
by members of a Munich gymnastics club. So they're um, celebrating their 120th year as a football club, as opposed to PSG, who were founded in, what, the 1970s? 1970, yeah. So yeah, they're a very old club. They're based in Munich, obviously. The capital and most populous city in Bavaria. Obviously not the capital of uh, Germany, but very much kind of the, the footballing capital, you'd say. Yeah. Perhaps. Good geography, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, other noble clubs in Bavaria include 1860 Munich, mm-hmm. FC Nuremberg and Augsburg. Mm-hmm. Bayern share the Allianz Arena with 1860 Munich, uh, which is a heavily, heavily illuminated 75,000 capacity uh, stadium. Bayern actually bought out 1860 share in 2006. So they still share the stadium, but it is wholly owned by Bayern. So they bought it out as a kind of financial gesture. So yeah. 1860 who were going through some trouble. Yeah, you wonder how many seats 1860, like their max capacity at the Allianz has ever been. Mm. That's actually, actually no, don't know, there's an actual question because yeah. obviously they're not going to get 75,000. I wouldn't have thought. No. So uh, if they're going through financial trouble as well, you've got to assume that they're, they're, not, they're, they're not doing as well on the pitch recently. Um, I mean that was back in 2006 but but yeah maybe we'll find out for next for next week um, Bayern have won 30 Bundesliga titles <laughs> wow, um, including the last eight in the Bundesliga they've never finished outside the top four in the 21st century that is a stat so they finished fourth once wow. in that time and then finished above that obviously for the rest um, they've won the DFA, DFB Pokal which is the German domestic cup like the FA Cup um, 20 times and the German Super Club Super Cup on seven occasions. All of those figures I've just mentioned are records in Germany, as you'd expect. In Europe, they have won the Champions League now six times. Yep. Um, and the Europa League, the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup, and the UEFA Super Cup uh, once apiece. Fair. In their last Champions League winning season before this one, um, which was the, 12, the 2012-13 season, they became one of only a handful of clubs to have won the Continental Treble. So it says quiz time. Yeah. Can you name the six other clubs that have won a continental treble? And who has done it twice? So it's someone who's won their major domestic trophy, yeah, like yeah, the FA yeah. Cup, the Premier League and Champions League. Barcelona. Barcelona is one of them teams. Man United. Yep. Inter 99. Milan. Inter Milan, yeah, under Mourinho. Ajax. Yep, correct. Uh, is that four? That's four. We've got two more. Uh, two more. Two more. Juventus. Nope. Uh, AC Milan. Nope. It's the, yeah. They're not easy. Oh, really? Uh, think ones on the British Isles. British Isles. Well, yeah. Celtic. Celtic have won it. Yeah. Oh, mad. Must have been the European Cup on the Champions League. Yeah, nineteen sixty. And the other one I'll just say is PSV Eindhoven. Oh. Sure so yeah, I was going to say I them. Never have got. I was going to say them next. And who's the team that's won it twice? Ajax. Barcelona did it in oh eight oh nine. And in the 14-15 season. Yeah, fair. Interesting. But well done. Did quite well there, to be fair. Yeah. Um, interestingly, in the women's game, Leon have actually done it four times, wow. uh, including three in the last five years. So that's some sheer dominance. There is dominance. Yeah, my condolences go out to Arsenal women's who got knocked out the other night against PSG. I was hoping they could win the competition so I could finally say Arsenal won a Champions League, but it wasn't to be. Mm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. They're wearing a new away kit. Not a fan of it. Oh, the new Arsenal away yeah. kit. No, it's got a kind of marble effect. I'm not a big yeah. fan. Because Arsenal's kits, and I've mentioned it before, this season have been, I thought, one of the best ones they've ever Yeah, had. they were. But yeah, um, that's, I'd give it a three out of ten. So of uh, Bayern's six uh, Champions League wins, 
Three of them were actually won in a row. So in 1974, 1975, and 1976. And this was the first period of real dominance for Bayern on mm. the international stage. Um, the first of those wins in 1974 was a 4-0 victory over Atletico Madrid. Yep. In a side featuring Luis Aragones and Eusebio. Uh, then beat Billy Bremner's Leeds in 1975, the angriest guy mm-hmm. in the world. And they won against Saint Etienne in 1976. Yeah, I don't know um, Luis Aragones played football to a really high level. Uh, having said that, most managers tend to have played the game to some degree. Yeah, they tend to pop up if you do look back into history. Yeah. There's certain teams and certain games. Um, but prior to that period of dominance, during the war, the Nazi party branded Bayern as the Jews Club and ruled that footballers had to return to real amateurism. Um, so Bayern couldn't sustain itself and it moved back into its regional leagues. After the war, the first division was split into five Oberligas and eventually consolidated into the Bundesliga in 1963. The game promotion in 65 with the likes of Franz Beckenbauer, Gerd Müller and Sepp Meyer, known as the Axis, and they went on to achieve um, domestic success throughout the end of the um, 20th century. In modern times, Bayern have lifted their fourth Champions League, which they did so in 2001 at the San Siro, beating Rafa Benitez, uh, Benitez's Valencia 5-4 on penalties. They lost in the final in 2012 to Chelsea, as we all know. Yeah. <laughs> and a crazy run by Chelsea. Um, but the following season, they beat Borussia Dortmund 1-0 at Wembley um, to lift the trophy following a goal by legend Iron Robin. Since that win, they have reached four semi-finals uh, prior to this season, one quarter-final, and a, dis- a disappointing second-round elimination to eventual winners Liverpool last season. Um, they were sunk by a Mane brace at the Allianz. On the whole, though, they have been pretty consistent in the Champions League and consistently eliminating Arsenal, as we all know. Yeah, it's one of those, really, where a shot's been fired at your club and then you want to say something really witty in response, but it's just fact. It is pure fact, It's yeah. pure fact, yeah. Bayern have dispatched us a fair few times. Uh, Barcelona as well. Um, yeah, that 2001 team actually had uh, Rocky Santa Cruz and I believe Owen Hargreaves. Yeah. And uh, Rocky Santa Cruz is a bit of a forgotten man. He, he came to England, uh, you know, he kind of fell by the wayside at Bayern. Came to England, was brilliant with Blackburn. I think yeah. he scored 19 goals in 37 yeah, games. Yeah. And you're thinking, right, this guy's going to be on it. Moved to Man City, irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. He, yeah. I think he came just after the time where they uh, had their influx of money from the new owner, Sheikh Mansour, and then, yeah literally never reach the heights again. Mm. So how does Bayern's club structure work? Who actually owns the club? So as we discussed on our first ever podcast on RB Leipzig. Absolute cracker. Yeah, cracking crack episode. Um, German football operates with the 50 plus one rule. Um, this rule stipulates that the majority shareholder must be the club's members, i.e. the fans registered with the club that possess voting rights. FC Bayern Munich AG is the entity that controls the football inside. Um, related to Bayern and is led by executive board chairman and former Bayern player Karl Heinz Rummenig. Everyone will probably know. Um, the AG also includes board the board member for board member for sport or director of football um, Hassan Salahamidic. Um, we also mentioned our director of football podcast. Um, former goalkeeper Oliver Kahn is also an executive member of the AG and will replace Rummenig as CEO in 2022 so it's very much more of an yeah, ex-pro kind of football inside to the AG because yeah. they control the footballing matters interestingly Rummenig has called for the end of the 50 plus 1 rule um, saying it makes it difficult for German teams to compete in Europe um, 
saying that everyone is worried and fearful that we will lose competitiveness because they are at odds to a team like PSG or Man City because they can't, um, or a, a club cannot kind of get that sort of capital mm. because they can't be owned by a corporation like, like, like someone like Man City can be. There are clubs that are already exempt from the rule as well, such as Bayer Leverkusen, Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim um, due to their long-standing links with German corporations such as Bayer and Volkswagen. Obviously, Leipzig have clearly circumnavigated the rule coming yeah. in. Um, as you know, a lot of archers. Um, and so it, it could be argued, well, if it can be circumnavigated in this way and a corporation can actually come in and take over a club, then what's the point of having it? Is it just limiting the existing clubs and members of the league? Yeah. A uh, vote was held in March 2018 with 36 clubs from the first and second division voted to retain the rule. Yeah, no, so yeah, Dryden obviously highlighted that um, our first pod discussed that 50 plus one rule in depth uh, and the director of football pod as well is a really really good episode to listen to if you want to hear dry and struggle to pronounce some european yeah. names across the i mean cheeky berigestan yeah which i thought i'd go for again is very very much yeah dry and swing a fair bit on that pod another pod is swing a fair bit on which you should also listen to is like ffp pods where dry and was struggling to count um so yeah yeah tune in come on that but um going back to bayern um especially oliver khan have you, seen, you know that goal that jj kosher scored where he's rounded the keeper three or four times, he's Cruyff turn, Cruyff turn, yeah, Cruyff turn, he's in the box. Yeah. That's what I think about when, whenever you mention we, the name Oliver Kahn. You shut your eyes at night. Yep, yeah, just four beds. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a fantastic goal to watch mm. if you haven't seen it. Yes, yeah, so the AG, the football inside, are 75% owned by Bayern Munich EV, okay. which consists of close to 300,000 members. So these are like the fans and the registered kind of uh, voting members. It was those members alongside the other 25% that own the club privately that voted in former Adidas CEO Herbert Heiner at the end of 2019. The other 25% that's not owned by the so the fans or the, the members is owned by Audi, Allianz and Adidas, who each have an 8.33% stake in the club. Um, Allianz were the last to purchase their shares, paying 110 million euros in 2014. And with that sale, Bayern paid off the remaining debt on the Allianz Arena 16 years early. The AG, the AG also has a, a supervisory board, which is chaired by um, the EV president, Herbert Heiner. So it's very much the link between um, the side that actually holds the, um, or owns the club and the actual football inside, so the mm-hmm. AG. I mentioned Hassan Salahamidic, uh, regarded as Bayern's sporting director. Alongside members of the AG, he's responsible for the first team, the FC Bayern campus, uh, all coaches and the associated backroom staff and departments. Um, as you mentioned on that director of football pod, you never know for sure if decisions such as second manager, for example, are purely down to people such as him or come from pressure from the people who actually own the club. Yeah, um, definitely. But Nico Kovac um, was ultimately dismissed at the end of 2019 and was replaced by Hansi Flick. Uh, in November 19, initially only on an interim basis, but this was made permanent in April of this year following a run of 18 wins out of 21 in all competition. We'll speak a bit more on him later. Bayern's, Bayern's financial report as well, let's go back to the money side, for the 18-19 season reported revenue of 750 million euros um, and an operating profit of 146.1 million. Um and what was interesting about that, as at that point, it was Bayern's 27th consecutive year with a profit. So you compare, compare that to other finalists, PSG, who I think it's in the last nine seasons 
have posted a loss of around like five times. Yeah. Um, because obviously they've put money into the club and the club itself has run at a loss when they spend, I think they spent a billion in that time. Correct. Um, so stark difference there. According to Deloitte, buying are currently fourth in global revenue with a reported revenue of uh, 660 million euros at the most recent date in 2020 behind Man United, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Really decent. Yeah, Nico Kovac is actually now at Monaco. Uh, so best of luck mm. to him there. Hope he does well. That level of revenue, though, is mad. It's crazy, yeah. I had a look at the money league table, and Dortmund are the second highest German club on there, and they're nearly 300 million behind Munich. That's, that's crazy, isn't And it? it's just no wonder why it's impossible for these German sides to compete when Bayern are so much stronger financially. Yeah. Like, you, you have to... You just can't. It's, it's nearly impossible. Um, so how did Bayern progress through this season's Champions League? Well, how much do I really have to say? Uh, as I mentioned, Bayern won six out of six in the group stage, um, scoring 24, 24 goals and finishing on a plus 19 goal difference. Okay. They defeated Red Star Belgrade 3-0 and 6-0, Olympiacos 3-2 and 3-0, and they won 7-2 at Spurs, as we're all very aware of. A result that perhaps signaled the end for Pochettino. Um, Sergeant Nabry scoring four of them goals. You can't in any circumstance let an away side start dancing on your pitch. That's what 7-2 mm. is. It's and not then, football anymore. And then Nabry afterwards saying that London is red. It's just the ultimate embarrassment, really. Yeah, get that. Inject that into my veins. I love okay. that one. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, Nabry tore him to shreds. It was just... You just can't... I, I just think there's sometimes teams get beaten really badly. You cannot let a side come to your ground, new ground as well, and then just score seven goals. Yeah, if it was a knockout, I could kind of see why they would just be throwing everything at it. But yeah. you're in a group format in a round robin, so you yeah. still kind of need your goal difference mm. to be, you know, decent. Yeah. So in the knockouts, they beat Chelsea seven one on aggregate. Uh, the second leg being played in in COVID times. Um, in Lisbon, uh, Bayern dismantled Barca eight two. Canadian Alfonso Davis sending uh, Nelson Semedo for one or two hot dogs on that particular evening. And then Bayern went on to beat Lyon, a game in which the French side started quite strongly, cut through um, Bayern, as you said. But Bayern had too much quality in the end and, and Serge Nabry bagged the brace alongside uh, a goal from Robert Lewandowski or Robert Lewandowski, as Thomas Muller said in his post-match interview. <laughs> got <Yeah>. zero laughs. <laughs> like, literally no one even <laughs> didn't get an eyelid. Raised, um, yeah, Nabri. The, the porridge celebration is my FIFA go-to if I score on the team. Oh, really? It's, I go to that every time. Uh, nine goals for him in the Champions League this season. Um, Lewandowski has fifteen. Um, I was finished on fifteen now. Um, and in same numbers, given they played ten games to get to the final, they finished on eleven and forty-three goals. Um, so that'd be an average of just over four goals a game, which is very impressive. Yeah. So a question I have for you, quickly, is. Um how long have you been working on your maths for? Quite a long time. Uh, it's been, yeah, to get to this it's level getting now. Good, it's getting good. You get to a level of calibre like I've reached. Yeah, it's just getting good, mate. Yeah, it's thank you very good. much. You can try five times tables next. Um, <laughs> wh- why did Thomas Muller ever think Lewandowski would catch on? What, Lewandowski? Lewandowski. It, you know when someone cracks a joke, you're like, oh, no. I mean, the, the pressmen as well. Like you're, you're in the room. If you're like in that press conference as a footballer, everyone's eyes on you. Everyone wants to be your friend. Yeah. They didn't even... No one even laughed. <laughs> he said it twice. <laughs> he said it twice for effect. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about Hans Dieter Flick. How do Bayern shape up under him? 
So as mentioned, Flick was given a new contract through to 2023 uh, by Salah Hamidic, um, which is quite long, you'd think, three mm. years from this point, even like before the Champions League has kind of mm. um, fizzled out. He turned down a move to Stuttgart at 18, actually as a player, to finish okay. his training at a bank, which is quite interesting. After several years at amateur side, Bamental Flick was appointed as Hoffenheim head coach in 2000, helping drive the club's development over the next five years, earning promotion from the fourth to the third division. They're now, I think, in the Bundesliga or the Bundesliga 2, so they've done a lot better. He now has the freedom of Bamental, <laughs> which means very little, but he's, he has that freedom. He also runs a sports shop there. Nice. So if you're in Bamental uh, next <laughs> weekend, check it out. Flick then had a brief spell on the coaching staff at Salzburg under Giovanni Trapattoni before becoming a World Cup winner as assistant to Jürgen Law and then became sporting director for the German Football Association after that World Cup victory. He returned to Hoffenheim in 2017 before a sabbatical from football until 2019 where he returned as assistant coach to Niko Kovac. Um, that's his first head coach role since hit the Hoffenheim in, in 2005. Um, Bayern mostly use a 4-2-3-1 to flick. That becomes kind of a 4-1-4-1 in a defensive posture. Kimmich sits in front of the TBs with uh, Lewandowski uh, pressing. Um, and then the winger, depending on which side of the, of yep. the pitch we're on, um, joins that particular press. A wing-back and a central midfielder would also join um, with the other full-back pushing across the former three. And Kimmich kind of shuttling across as the anchor in front of that to provide protection. In possession, Bayern typically overload one side before switching rapidly to the other, which is actually quite similar to how Atalanta play as well, um, which owes to the athleticism and flair of the likes of Davies and Benjamin Pavard, who's actually one of them players who he did play at centre-back. He's probably underrated as a, as a kind of a attacking wing-back, but his goal in the World Cup was... It wasn't, the, it wasn't, play, it wasn't goal at the tournament, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, bonkers goal. Unbelievable. Um Alaba has also shifted into the centre-back role, which I've had an interesting debate with a friend, Luke, recently. Um, I think this is intentional by Flick. And it's seen as when he when Davies goes forward, um, it creates quite a lot of space. Well, it, a lot of space is left by uh, Davies. And Alaba kind of has a bit of a free role to then play as almost like a deep line playmaker in that area. So then he can shift the ball with his kind of impressive... Um, Possession skills, or skills and possessions, or passing and, and technical, technical wise. Muller has had a resurgence under Flick, becoming a pivotal second assister uh, and beginning moves from dangerous positions. Uh, the side boasts a creative positional sense and achieves overloads across the pitch. Um, much has been made of Bayern's first eleven against Leon, costing eighty million, which is obviously you know the same price as like Harry Maguire or even Lucas Hernandez who they signed so it's quite yeah. cheap in modern days for a side um, to overall cost to cost that especially when they're a Champions League winning team now yeah. um, players such as Nabri, Alcantara Coleman and Perisic um, were all strong uh, additions it looks like Alcantara might leave um, and they were brought in from overseas but the value they've achieved in domestic signs you'd have to say is probably owed to their status as, the, as Germany's dominant side yeah. In terms of that monopoly, so um, Goretzka and Lewandowski both came in on a free contract, a free transfer. Um, so I think that's kind of testament to that. Nevertheless, they have assembled, assembled a side currently unrivaled on the world stage, you say? Yeah, I really beefed that picture 
with the team costing 80 million or whatever because Bayern actually had over 230 million worth of talent on the bench mm. uh, with the likes of Hernandez and Tolisso. Yeah. Um, just to mention Javier Martinez as well. These are guys signed for all 30 plus. In Hernandez's case, uh, 72 million or whatever it was. Mm. Um, and as you rightly said, their dominance in the German league gives them a unique advantage. For example, Nabri, who I love dearly, was bought uh, from Arsenal uh, to Werder Bremen for four million, mm-hmm. but then moved to Bayern after scoring ten goals in twenty-two league games for thirteen million. So mm. I reckon at the time he must have been about twenty. Um, he's just scored ten goals in twenty-two league games, probably his first season playing that consistently for that long. Yeah. I assume he signed a five-year deal. Yeah, he went for what a ten million pound profit. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, so cool. yeah, it, behind the scenes, their dominance I think is quite clear for all to see. So I think what is an interesting discussion to take off from this season's Champions League, um, especially now that Bayern have now won the Champions League, would we regard Robert Lewandowski as the best striker in the world? Does he now get his dues that perhaps he hasn't had before? You'd say he's less revered than Mbappe and someone like Neymar, even though Neymar doesn't typically start up front because he doesn't necessarily boast the same kind of athleticism and technical skills, so like he isn't as enjoyable to watch as seeing Mbappe because mm. he's kind of seen as a bit more of a kind of ruthless striker, almost a bit like uh, Ruben Nistelrooy. He has 15 goals this season, as I've mentioned in, ch- in this in the Champions League, which is only two off the record, helped by Messi, who's on 17, um, and he's now won the Champions League. So is he considered now one of the best strikers, not only in the world, or the best in the world, but one of the best of all time? I think mm. that's an interesting argument. I do feel as well as him not having the kind of flair that some players have, I do feel that being a player in the, in the German league as well can be a factor. Um, I think it's kind of like less romanticised than say La Liga or Serie A, yeah. um, particularly in like England, where it's like Serie A used to be beamed on Channel 4. People really romanticise those leagues, but they don't for the German league. So do they get overlooked? Yeah, I kind of see your last point there. Um, the German league has always been seen as Slightly inferior, maybe, to the Prem, uh, Syria and La Liga. Just throughout history, you know, Syria had the dominant time in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, La Liga always has had, because of Barcelona and Real, and England as well is currently kind of seen as the, the best league around. So yeah. that always means that his exploits there are watered down a little bit, which is unfair to a degree. And like you said, you know, he's not as enjoyable to watch as Neymar or Mbappe. And, he, and footballers are kind of judging this modern era on highlight reels. Yeah, It's very easy for you to judge a player when you watch a match day highlights and they win 5-0 because if it's Mbappe, realistically, there'd be some sort of runs, which shows his speed, some skill as well, yeah. or someone like Neymar. And if you see a Lewandowski, it will be the point where he just scores the goal. Yeah, and yeah, to you, to you just watching it, you think, oh, well, yeah, he's good at scoring, but you know, he's not as impressive. Or Yeah, he could be. He could actually have those skills. He's locked exactly. up, you don't see it as much. Exactly, exactly. I mean, for me, uh, Lewandowski is the best striker on the planet ATM as an out-and-out number nine. I don't really think it can be rivaled. It's one of those things where number nines kind of fell out of love kind of in the false nine era, which was about 2010-ish sort of time, where you had like um, people like Goethe playing up top and yeah, the six midfielders yeah. coming through. And mm-hmm. I think number nines kind of died out. Uh, it seems to be coming back in fashion now. People like Haaland coming through. Um, yeah. as, as as you know, the big sort of guys coming back, but they're always seen as less gram- glamorous due to the lack of flair that you mentioned. Mm. Holland's a good Holland's a good comparison. Yeah, exactly, and, and maybe maybe background as well. You know, because he's Polish, you may not necessarily associate Polish 
players being as skillful as Brazilians, for example, or you may not associate Frenchmen being as skillful as Polish players, for example. So he's not really seen as in that bracket. Yeah, and he's uh, less likely to um, get far in international competition playing yeah. for a side that isn't. So Mbappe is a World Cup winner, yeah, and it was instrumental in that win. So yeah. he's revered largely for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it starts to always put him in that bracket of being currently the best in the world in terms of a stri- an out and out striker. Yeah. Um, you could also argue kind of Luis Suarez as well, but even him has that flair skill set, which then makes him more enjoyable to watch. Hopefully next season he can win the Ballon d'Or, uh, especially now they've won the Champions League. Yeah. I think it's a crime that they just cancelled it because the season finished. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't make sense, does it? But no. I, I kind of felt like because it was a Messi Ronaldo weren't really competing. They yeah, thought. you kind of get that vibe with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, for me, yeah, I don't think it's a question. There's definitely going to be some Spurs fans out there who will say Kane and they're wrong. So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all from us. Thank you for driving, for doing the research and thank you all for tuning into this week's Why Football podcast. Please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore and please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast for immediate access to future episodes. And don't forget the competition. Yeah, don't forget the competition. That is key. Mm. Key takeaway. Do the yep. competition. Jump on Apple Podcasts. Rate it five stars, leave a comment, and you could be in with a chance to win a Bayern top. Absolutely. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. See you next week.